0: Within the shadows of the Everlasting Hills in the town of Kaysville in northern Utah, there lies an enigma hidden on what was historically farmland in a hollow surrounded by multiple groves of trees. Trails dot and crisscross the area, signs of adventurers from days and nights gone by who have sought out this haunted object. It's only really accessible at this point by trespassing through the yards of surrounding houses, as the area has filled in densely with residences in recent years. It's an area filled with large homes, mostly upper middle class. The object has several different origin stories, few of which are completely substantiated, and most of which are urban legend and folklore, which adds to the allure. Going near it, even in the daytime, can bring a feeling of dread that is hard to quell or put a finger on. This is Saints and Sinners, true crime and the history of the West, the mysterious appearance of Kay's Cross. The West is filled with lore, and depending on where you're from, chances are you've heard of stories of a place nearby where teenagers, curious adults, and anyone who wants a break from the norm goes to trespass late at night and see if they can feel something spooky or sinister. Prior to last year, I hadn't heard of Kay's Cross. I grew up south of Salt Lake City, and we have our own iterations of creepy and haunted places, but for those who hail from northern Davis County and into South Weber, along Utah's Wasatch Front, Kay's Cross has a myriad of stories surrounding it. Many know about it. Few have actually been down to see it. Local legend has it that sometime in late 1946, early 1947, the 20-foot tall cross made from stone cemented together with a crossbar and a 13-foot wide cross section simply appeared out of nowhere. World War II had ended and soldiers and airmen had returned home. Couples were reuniting once again and families began to boom. Kaysville was still very sparsely populated in the 1940s. Most of it, in fact, was still farmland. Shortly after Mormon pioneers arrived in 1847, the Kaysville area known as Kays Creek or Kays Ward was settled by Hector Haight in 1850 as a farming community. He had been sent north from Salt Lake City to find grazing ground for livestock and soon thereafter constructed a cabin and brought his family to settle the area. Although settlement began in the 1840s, the name of Kaysville connects with the fact that in 1851, William K was made the first bishop in the area by Brigham Young and Heber C Kimball. In 1868, Kaysville became the first city incorporated in Davis County. An adobe meeting house was built in 1863. It was replaced by the Kaysville Tabernacle in 1914. In 1930, Kaysville had 992 residents. Of the residents who were Mormons, they were all in the Kaysville ward, which also covered most of the rest of the Kaysville precinct. In the way of nationally televised or reported happenings, little out of the ordinary occurs in this primarily Mormon or Latter-day Saint community. In the early morning hours of December 18, 1977, United Airlines Flight 2860 out of San Francisco crashed in the mountains to the east of Kaysville. Witnesses in the Kaysville and Fruit Heights area saw an airplane fly low overhead. Shortly thereafter they saw an orange glow to the east which continued for three or four seconds. All witnesses reported rain in the area and several reported it as heavy. All three occupants of the flight were killed and the aircraft was destroyed. The sheriff's office in Farmington, a town adjacent to Kaysville, reported the sound of an explosion and subsequent rumbling felt in the ground. The dispatcher called the airport to ask if an airplane had gone missing. The first answer was no. More questions revealed that it was a cargo plane. The Sheriff's Office organized a rescue team that found the bodies and debris. The rescue team reported that no part of the airplane, bigger than a briefcase, survived the crash. Markings from the crash could be seen on the mountainside for several years afterwards. The National Transportation Safety Board deduced that the cause of the accident was the controller's issuance and the flight crew's subsequent acceptance of an incomplete and ambiguous holding clearance. The flight crew was cited for their failure to adhere to established lack of communication guidelines and lack of adherence to established holding procedures the aircraft's electrical problems were cited as a contributing factor in addition the flight's cockpit voice recorder was found to be inoperative preventing the accident investigation from identifying any contributing factors in the cockpit this crash most certainly made the news But there have been many other strange happenings in Kaysville throughout the years. Most haven't been reported on. Many suppose that it is due to the undue influence of Kays' cross. The large cross had a letter K on both sides of it. There have been guesses over the years as to what that letter signified. The easy guess is that it stands for Kaysville. But the real answer is likely more complicated. The real history of Kays' cross likely involves polygamists and a religious cult. In 1992, the Deseret News conducted an interview with a local man who claimed he had helped build the cross in the summer of 1946. The man's name was Merlin Kingston. The parcel of land that the cross is on had been owned by the Kingston family since at least the early 1900s. For those of you outside of the area, the Kingston clan is a well-known polygamous family in Utah. So does the letter K stand for Kingston? The most likely answer is that the K's on either side of the cross stood for kingdom, meaning the kingdom of God. According to Merlin Kingston, the cross was built in honor of Krishna Venta, born Francis Penchevich, who was a religious cult leader who gained popularity in the 1940s and 50s. He also just happened to have lived in Utah for several years. He became acquainted with one of Merlin Kingston's brothers while he was serving with him in the military. Venta was born in San Francisco in 1911 by the time he was 30 he had a long record of arrests for petty crimes in fact his early life mirrored very closely the life of Charles Manson before the Manson family was formed in California in the 1960s one of the crimes Venta committed was sending a letter that was perceived as threatening to Franklin Delano Roosevelt the president of the United States by 1941 he was well on his way to becoming a cult leader That year, Venta, his first wife, and their two children took a trip to Alaska. On the passenger manifest, his occupation was listed as M.D. Another record lists his occupation as that of a writer. By 1944, he was divorced from his first wife, most likely because he had been caught having an affair with his secretary, who he married almost immediately after his divorce was finalized. He was living in Salt Lake City following his second marriage and enlisted in the army at Fort Douglas as a conscientious objector in 1945. He was assigned to the Army Medical Corps and traveled a bit. However, that didn't last long as he was back in Salt Lake City by 1946. By now, he was using the name Krishna Venta and was making money as a traveling lecture hall minister. Following his lectures, which were free, he would offer private classes for $50 per person. A sizable chunk of change now, and even more so in the 1940s. A poster from one of his events held in Ogden, Utah's Ben Lohman Hotel asks, Do you want wisdom? The future of mankind, the powers of mental telepathy, be prepared for tomorrow, the conquering power of thought, how to gain health, wealth, and happiness, the great secrets of India, world predictions, atomic powers, etc., According to Merlin Kingston's 1992 interview, he and his brother invited Venta to hold outdoor lectures on their property in Kay's Hollow in the spring and summer of 1946. It was during this time that Kay's cross was erected by Venta and the Kingstons. Their association also appears to have been further cemented by Venta's mention of the ironic and Melchizedek priesthoods in signage and materials. He was hoping to appeal to local seekers of truth even up until his death he would often quote the Prophet Joseph Smith the Kingston's practicing fundamentalist Mormons most likely had some part to play in this by laying on of hands to imbue Venta with the designation of power and affiliation between their respective belief systems 1946 was a pivotal year for Venta he became fascinated with Mormonism especially the Melchizedek Priesthood and by 1947 had legally changed his name and had left utah upon leaving utah venta gained notoriety and followers eventually around a hundred or so he started the wisdom knowledge faith love fountain of the world they lived on 25 acres in box canyon in california where they built a monastery in 1948 the Ironic and melchizedek priesthoods are mentioned in signage for this new organization he formed in california as well venta had charisma But all was not perfect at the Fountain. Venta was jailed for 10 days in 1955 for refusing to comply with court-ordered child support. His defense of non-payment was that the Fountain members shared all their assets, so none of the money was just his. He had a penchant for gambling and was known to make frequent trips to Reno and Las Vegas. He spent a lot on travel, and in fact, once went to London and then to Rome to try to meet with the Pope. For a man with no money of his own venta lived quite well his grand cult plans came to a shocking end in december 1958 on the evening of december 10th two ex-fountain members who had become tired of venta's hypocrisy regarding money confronted him in order to try to get him to confess to crimes while one of them taped the conversation with a hidden tape recorder he wouldn't confess so they decided to blow him up as well as several other fountain members Venta was killed, along with seven other cult members, including women and children. Despite Krishna's death, the Fountain of the World survived, as did the monastery they built. It was rumored that Charles Manson and the Manson family stayed at the monastery for a few months in 1968. I checked several sources, and they all stated it was a possibility. The chronology and geography both work out as Spahn Ranch, where the Manson family was living at the time of the Tate and LaBianca murders, is only miles from Box Canyon, where the monastery was. Both are in Chatsworth, California in Los Angeles County. Krista's wife and kids eventually left California for Alaska, taking a few of the group's members with them. Some of the others decided to join the People's Temple, led by Jim Jones. The People's Temple would relocate to the jungle of Guyana, where on Saturday, November 18, 1978, they would commit an enormous group suicide. 909 people died. Jones died by a gun blast. Some would be stabbed, and the majority drank Flavorade laced with cyanide. Flavorade was a Kool Aid knockoff brand, so that is where we get the term Drink the Kool Aid referring to blind followers. Sadly, many of the People's Temple members were forced to drink the Flavorade at gunpoint, so in reality, many of their deaths were certainly not suicides. In the years following Venta's lectures in Kay's Hollow, the large stone cross became a challenge for local teens. Stories grew surrounding the cross throughout the years and decades that passed. There began to arise stories of satanic worship and animal sacrifice. One man said he went to visit the cross in the middle of the night one time and left his car parked several hundred yards away near the hollow. When he got back to his car from having spent some time at the cross, he said his car was covered in blood. There were other stories about the Kingston brothers who had buried some of their wives around the cross and that in fact one of their wives was entombed within the cross itself in the stand-up position. Several large trees surround the cross. It was rumored that a man had hung himself from one of those. With the feelings that surround the area, that may not be untrue. At the very least, it was said that if you visited the cross on the night of a full moon, the cross would turn blue and you would see spirits both on and around the cross. Teenagers for years to come would make their way to the cross to try this for themselves. The stories grew and grew. The legend would be kicked up a notch when on the evening of February 15, 1992, an unknown party would place dynamite both on and inside of the cross, and it was blown up in a very similar fashion to Krishna Venta, the man in whose honor it was built the truth in this case as it often is was much stranger than fiction there was no plural wife encased in its cement walls that legend would be proven not to be true to this day no one knows who blew up the cross some have thought that it might have been members of the Kingston family who were tired of dealing with trespassers on their property if that is true it's ironic as it was members of their own family who constructed the cross in the summer of 1946. Growing up 35 minutes to the south of Kaysville and Kays Hollow, this crazy story had never been presented to me. As I said before, every area seems to have its local legend. I heard about the cross for the first time last year and as soon as I found out about it, I knew I had to go see it for myself. Even though it was blown up in 1992 and several pieces of the cross are no longer there in the Hollow, a good portion of the 13 foot cross section and even part of one of the large letter K's that adorned both sides of the cross is still there. In early November of last year, I hiked on Antelope Island with a date named Sarah, and I told her about the cross. She knew she had to see it as well. We began a Google search for the cross's exact location and drove to Kaysville that night. It was raining that day and a fitting time of year to see the cross for the first time. Halloween had just passed, but there was still that feeling in the air of adrenaline, and excitement regarding a potentially haunted place. Kays Hollow is very near the Kaysville Cemetery. It's also near a school and is surrounded by rows of houses and a farm, likely the farm of a modern-day member of the Kingston family. Our search online had shown us that there could be one potential access point through a farm to the west of the hollow. We drove slowly down a long dirt road. Before we knew it, we were passing old tractors and farm equipment. It was very dark. A moment later, a man walked up to us and knocked on the driver's side window. I rolled down the window and he asked, What are you doing? We admitted we didn't know if we were on private property or not, but we would gladly leave if this was his land. We left, but were determined to find another way to the remnants of the cross. There's a school nearby with a tall chain-link fence and barbed wire at the top of it. We pulled up to the fence and decided there had to be a better way. We didn't want to blatantly walk through someone's backyard to get to the hollow but we were nearly antsy enough to see the cross that we would have done just about anything at that point we found a dead-end street with a small fence at the end of it small enough to climb romance could have potentially been in the air but it was hard to think of romance when we knew Kay's cross loomed in the distance we made our way to the other side of the fence we knew we were close we walked behind the back fences of several large homes families were having dinner together some were watching TV we continued on our flashlight darkened so as not to be seen in the hollow there are several dirt paths and we would descend down one path and crisscross to another it would not have been difficult to get lost something led us to the cross a tangible thick fog a presence we climbed down one final steep muddy rain-drenched trail we nearly both slipped and fell I turned our flashlight on and tilted it up and there it was. The large cross section of Kay's cross. Large rocks of lime green, brown, and tan encased in cement. A huge metal support bar that was once inside the cross was now exposed and jagged, sticking out from the cross. We shined the light around and there were several circles of rocks in about a 100 foot radius near the cross, likely where fires had been lit, possibly by devil worshippers. Or at the very least, by vaping teenagers. I have audio from that night. My mind nearly drew a blank as I was overtaken by the feeling of that place. Even my use of adjectives was relegated almost exclusively to the word creepy. Very few other words came to mind in that moment. The mood of the cross had overtaken me. Forgive the sniffling. It was early November in the rain. Listen as we explore the cross. This is Kay's Cross. Creepiest cross on the planet. See, it's pretty creepy. Like You can tell pieces that are kind of missing. What's that? Look the black cloak. Jeez. There's like barbed wire in the middle of it. Creepiest place I've been in Utah. <laughs> Such a weird place to put it. It's the cloak of the spirit that. Oh, it is. Runs around and what did it say that it captures lovers and kills them makes them pay for their sins yes that's a big cross because this is just the top section like yeah where's that other section so this is part of it yeah Uh, is this where it was standing yeah i think that's the the, yeah that's the base okay oh yeah that is the base So yeah, he had that bar that was holding it up, pa- oh, the partially. Okay. I think they used that to kind of cement to it. Okay. That's, isn't it creepy with the different it's, rocks they use and stuff? It is super creepy. It's so weird. Okay, this is definitely my new favorite spot. <laughs> <laughs> As we drove back towards Salt Lake City that night, neither of us could believe what we had seen and felt in Kay's Hollow. We drove to the old mill in Cottonwood Heights, an old paper mill constructed in the 1880s with a slew of stories of its own. Weeks went by. I continued to research the cross, still amazed by its very existence. About three weeks later, I was leaving Salt Lake County, headed north with my friend Derek. We had plans to do some exploring and hiking that day in northern Utah. We were headed to Promontory Point, the place in Utah where the first transcontinental railroad in the United States was officially completed on May 10th 1869 Derek is a railroad and train enthusiast an expert in fact I told Derek about the cross without hesitation he wanted to see it as well we pulled off in Kaysville and headed for the hollow this time in the light of day we parked and walked down that same dead end street and crossed the same small fence the visibility and color in the light of day cast different shadows on the experience I have audio from that day as well If you listen closely, you can hear a plane flying overhead. I couldn't help but think of United Flight 2860 that crashed just miles from there on that fateful early morning of December 18th, 1977. It crossed my mind that maybe the spirits of those who died on that flight lingered in the area, maybe even down in the hollow. Maybe the power of the cross attracted them as well. Give it a listen. That's really creepy. That's weird. It's an actual animal, isn't it? It has to be. Yeah. Looks like it's been taxes every Jeez. See, like this seriously was like pretty wide open when they first put it down here. (laughs) It's really creepy. So is it? was it mounted like right there dude it was oh the cross yeah it was actually the base is right here oh. um so it was up on that and i'm thinking when they blew it down so the base is here uh, i'll show you a picture right after it happened like half of it's missing you know maybe at least half is missing right now but you figure how big it had to be because this is the horizontal piece oh, I see. so i mean dude the vertical piece was it was like 20 feet tall you know at least twice as tall as that Horizontal part. So the K. I think that's part of the K up on top right there. It's like maybe that section right there. Oh yeah. I don't know. Trying to figure out where the K was because I think Some of that's still here. And then just that crossbar was was there to hold it up. It wasn't really sticking through the middle of it, but it was sort of cemented to the side of it. (laughs) That's probably what that is, huh? But no, this. So when we came here before that cloak was there. The the bear wasn't, and the and that thing wasn't. Dude, that's crazy. I kind of want to touch it, but I know. We just leave it. I don't know. Yeah, you too. I mean, what could it even be, dude? Like, it's it's too big for a you know, a badger. It's a, its definitely a bear. Okay, yeah. Dude, it's kind of. Jeez. <laughs> it's pretty random thing to bring down here. That's really creepy. Jeez, I think about that is it's like for somebody to put that there, that's more than just a joke. It seems like it's somebody he legitimate believes in something yeah there's a story behind that cloak this time on a saturday in late november we could see that there were other objects in the hollow that i'm certain carry their own legends rumors are that there is a well in the hollow that had served for a location of concealment for the murdered wives of the kingston men they were said to have disposed of some bodies there we never found the well We did find, however, a bear carcass that had been placed on top of the cross. It appeared to have been a small black bear, but it also appeared that a taxidermist had bleached the bear white. There was a cloak draped over the cross as well. There were several packages of flannel wrapped in sticks. It reminded me of the Blair Witch Project, but this time it was real, our own personal found footage experience. There was a large arch in the hollow with a clown face on it. We walked through the arch. We stood on the cross. We moved the bear carcass. Will any of these acts bring curses upon us? That might not be too much of a stretch. After all, Krishna Venta was blown up by dynamite over a thousand miles away from the cross, decades before he had passed through the hollow, and he likely thought he would be fine as well. The cross was destroyed by dynamite, but still remains, and its legend has only grown stronger with time. A reminder of the hollow in Kaysville, where the paranormal meets the physical world and leaves in its wake terror, worry, bewilderment, and wonder. I'm Chad Mortensen. Thank you for listening to Saints and Sinners, True Crime and the History of the West.